Hello and welcome again to Film Festival Reviews. This is Christina Kotlar and I am still at the New York Film Festival this week. What's nice about living within the metropolitan area of a major film festival is that I, I don't feel so rushed to pack everything in such a short span of time when I was away at some of the festivals like Toronto or Sundance or the Sonoma Valley Film Festival. That's where you want to just get everything in and here it kind of have a little bit of a breather now and then while um, still getting to see some great films. So as Richard and Kent are telling me this year, um, these are some of the best films that they found for the New York Film Festival. And while I didn't see everything I would have liked, I'm going to talk a little bit about the films I did see and put them into this film festival perspective. Why this film festival is so important to the film. This is all carefully planned and promoted. So I'm going to, you know, start chronologically. This week I saw the Journal of New Rasmussen, and there are times when I watch a film not knowing where it's taking me or where I'm going with it. And usually I'm okay with a, a convoluted back road. Eventually it gets to where it's supposed to be, but the Journal of New Rasmussen had me. You know, pretty comfortable with its meanderings from the very start. Uh, shamanism, the spirit world, visions, wanderings, they all seems so surreal and foreign in the modern world when it was the way people made sense of the world, knew who they were, and had a sense of place. This is probably what many of us are searching for for most of our lives. When we eventually find it or land where we're supposed to be, well, then we feel at peace with our spirits, the ones that watch over us, and ourselves. Anyway, um, so this film is a fascinating explorer's account of a Darwin's nightmare episode where introducing a foreign element to the native species upsets a delicate but successful balance of life that um, Inuit Indian culture you know, survived for 4,000 years. What happens in the 1920s is Christianity replaces shamanism. Okay, the filmmakers are Zacharias Kanuk and Norman Cohn, and they made several films together. And by including the family and the community in making this film, Many of the Inuits in the community discovered that they could really accomplish a lot of things today through the same collaboration and teamwork on which the survival of their people had once depended on. And the central rule of life was anchored in this collaborative community effort. And that wasn't seen very much or even at all since that changeover took place in 1922. And when you watch the film, you can understand as it's happening, what was happening and the reason why it was all going on. Um, you know, this was a bloodless takeover, but nevertheless, it was just as final destruction of their way of life. And so we know that there was lots of food, singing, of course, they were talking about the sex and spirits. And although this may not be a really commercially successful 
you know, according to box office records, but whoever thought that the Penguins would do it? <laughs> anyway, the world premiere uh, was an opening night gala at the Toronto Film Festival. It's also played at the Atlantic Film Festival in Halifax, uh, the Calgary International Film Festival, Edmonton International Film Festival, and it will be going on in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, New York Film Festival, Mill Valley Film Festival, Flanders in Belgium, London, Hawaii, Denmark, First Nations, First Features Festival in New York, and that's at the end of November, as well as the National Gallery in Washington, D.C. So, good luck to them, and um, it was a beautiful movie. Very well done. Okay, so the next film that I saw, and this was right after the Journal of Knud Rasmussen, was Reds, the 25th anniversary, and it's the story about left-wing American journalist Jack Reed and this coverage of the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia. It was nominated for 12 Academy Awards, won three for Best Direction, Best Supporting Actress, Maureen Stapleton, and Best Cinematography, Vittorio Storaro. Reds is 200 minutes long and the last movie ever made with an intermission. This is an epic on par with Lawrence of Arabia, Dr. Zhivago, Gone with the Wind, and he got the best out of his actors in this film. Diane Keaton and Jack Nicholson were both outstanding. They were both Oscar-nominated, and great support of Paul Servino, Edward Herman, Gene Hackman, and after this, it won all kinds of writing and directorial awards the following year. The DGA, uh, Directors Guild of America, Golden Globe, Writers Guild of America. And here it is back in New York after 25 years. Warren Beatty was at the uh, press conference and he was telling all these stories. A little bit about the witnesses, how when he wrote the treatment, he kind of fell in love with the people he was researching. And that's how he decided to include them into the film. He also talked about the idea of having the information accessible because this was put out in 1981. Would have been interesting if he could have held this film from being released for 25 years, you know, and release it now because it just seems maybe it has more of a historic meaning because of these witnesses that are now most I think if not all are dead at this time and it's like a painting you know sometimes it's worth more after the artist dies and then I um, began to fall more in love with the people that I was researching with than anything and that sort of led to this format which at that point was I, I don't think uh, if, if it had been done in quite in that way, um, I hadn't seen it. And uh, also, I had always found myself vaguely impatient with expositional dialogue uh, that was intended to sound natural, uh, but was really giving information. And I thought, these people are so charming and so interesting that were just giving me information head on. I thought it would be nice to have an audience be able to share that one lucky thing about being whatever they call it, a movie star, whatever it is, you, you, you do have a little more access. So I had access to people that had graduated from the class of 1910 at Harvard. You know, Walter Lippmann, uh, Arthur Schlesinger is a friend of mine, and Arthur set me up with Walter Lippmann, which was 
quite a trip. And um, uh, people like uh, Arthur Kroc, you know, this is a great class of uh, 1910 at Harvard. Conrad Aiken, uh, T.S. Eliot, very uh, famous class. And uh, in that class was uh, John Reed. Uh, so, for quite a while, I felt that the picture depended on Walter Lippmann for some strange reason. And, of course, Lippmann had no interest in doing a movie, and particularly didn't, although Lippmann had been, uh, the, uh, a socialist mayor of Schenectady, New York. But by this time, by the time I knew Lippmann, he was a, a liberal, uh, but absolutely the preeminent uh, columnist in the, in the country. He had no interest in A, in being in a movie, B, in a movie with me, and C, uh, he was uh, not a big fan of John Reed. Uh, he thought his uh, impetuous uh, nature and his sort of um, unrealistic idealism was, uh, I think, I, I, shouldn't, I should be very careful not to speak for Walter Lippmann, but uh, he was... Uh, not interested in doing it. I thought I'd get him to do it, and then uh, I tried uh, my friend Avril Harriman, who I was lucky enough to, to know, who was a very charming man who had been in Russia, you know, in fact, he was an ambassador at one time. He gave me the slickest and most charming turndown I've ever had on anything. Uh, he said, uh, he said, you know, this picture is going to be great. I just think it's just great. Everything you tell me about it is fantastic. It's funny, it sounds informative, it sounds exciting, it's really good. And I said, well, terrific. Now, when can, can we get you in front of the camera? He said, I don't think so. Uh, and I said, well, 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 why? And he said, because uh, I just don't know what's in it for me, old chap. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's, that's pretty much of a stopper. And, uh, so I didn't get Lippmann, but then I got a lot of terrific people, as you can see. So it was the research, really, that drove me into uh, continuing to develop an outline and, a, and a, a rewrite of a rewrite of a rewrite. And then finally, I've often said that for me, finally doing a movie, since for me, uh, I've often compared, for me, making a movie uh, to vomiting, in that uh, it's not something that I really want to do. And it's not pleasant, but I always feel better after I've done it. <laughs> so, uh, well, I, should, I think I, I don't know if I should say always. Yes, probably. And uh, so uh, when the time came to get this thing out, by that time it had taken, because I do remember you asked me a question, it had started in the late 60s and I made it in 79. I thought it should be a big movie because it's a big subject. I had never thought it was a particular commercial, particularly commercial movie, so I wanted to make a movie before that, Heaven Can Wait, and a couple of others, Shampoo was one, that I thought would make it uh, easier to get uh, financed, which, uh, which I did. When I do finally do a movie, I, uh, I'm uh, pretty much on it for 18 hours a day. Um, that movies are, have always been slaves to the release date. So if you made a movie and something happened at, uh, at that particular time, it could obliterate the movie's chances of really being seen. It occurred to me, I haven't seen this movie with an audience until 
a couple of nights ago, the Directors Guild in, in Los Angeles trying to get me to show the picture. So I went and I showed the movie, and I saw it for the first time with an audience since I made it. I've seen it twice by myself, and another time when I thought, could I possibly have hoped to have interested someone in whether the Communist Party was interested in splitting up with the Communist Labor Party, etc., so far. Um, when I saw it the other night, I thought, you know how nowadays when somebody has a movie and it's supposed to hit a release date, and then if you say, well, I want to do a little more work on it, we'd like to hold the movie for six months or eight movies, eight, eight months, and then, the, and then the press and everybody says, well, they're in deep trouble. The picture must be awful. They're, they're holding it. It occurred to me two things when I saw the movie two nights ago. One is that I would not change a frame, and the other is that I wish that I had gone into uh, the people at Paramount and said, I'd like to hold this movie, and, and, and they would have said, what, for six months? And I'd say, no, 25 years, because <laughs> the, the, uh, the accessibility of the subject to bring it out in 1981 at the height of what we might call the trip that uh, Soviet communism was taking into the lower depths was not conducive to um, the same dynamics and uh, uh, points of view that would have been clearer now when we're involved in a war or earlier when we were involved in a war in Vietnam. So the fact that the movie kicked up interest at all in 1981, what I think is a very interesting development is that movies now can be released from this uh, slavery to the release date. You know, he didn't expect to get such a, a great response he did get when it was shown in L.A. Again, you, you're not really sure how people are going to react to it because it is a three-and-a-half-hour movie. You know, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. The last film that I just want to talk about a little bit is Volver. That's Pedro Almodovar's film. And he talked about the meaning of Volver, to return. Redemption, reconciliation, food, singing, sex, and spirits. Because here it is a story. It's based on uh, women he was surrounded by growing up in a place that he just wouldn't go back to. He just felt it was very reactionary, macho, whatever. The film is a family drama with comedic overtones. Penelope Cruz and Lola Duena are sisters whose mother's ghost shows up so as to bury the ghosts of the past. There's an interesting parallel between Volver and Knud Rasmussen. We talk about the food, the singing, the spirits, um, very sensual in the film. You know, they talk about all the, the elements that go involved in this. It goes back 4,000 years. You have these same elements in a film that is very contemporary. It's a film about reconciliations from childhood. You know, little snippets of conversation that finally start making sense of something that, that happened. They put them in that closet, put it away in that box. Although it's seemingly forgotten, it really is never forgotten. 
he got the acting, the performance out of his actors the same way Warren Beatty got the performance out of his actors for Reds. So, here you have Pedro Almodovar, who has two Oscars, he has one Oscar for Best Foreign Film, All About My Mother, in the year 2000, and for Best Original Screenplay for Talk to Her in 2002. Volver is the winner of the Best Screenplay Award and of an Ensemble Best Actress Award at this year's con, and it's been chosen as Spain's submission for 2006 Best Foreign Language Film Academy Award. Also, it's considered the festival centerpiece film for the New York Film Festival. Now, this festival is a high profile for Volver, but it also was shown at Toronto, and it has a theatrical run November 3rd in LA and in New York. So, it's getting all set up for the Academy Awards here. It's interesting to see how these things get really set up because there's a real plan to this. Um, what's happening now with the Academy Awards, since it, a month earlier, it's late February rather than late March, so the race is starting earlier. It's starting Venice and Toronto, and especially now in the fall. So this early fall strategy is dependent on film festivals and that's why Venice and Toronto are so important because it's very very audience friendly and this can really heighten the opinions about the films so a lot of promotional stuff going on here and it was kind of backfired a little bit with the organizers for the Academy Awards they thought that if they shortened time span between the actual balloting which is at the end of December and February, you're not going to have all this campaigning going on, but actually it just, um, it's giving it more months of campaigning for these films, which doesn't always work. Some of them, if they don't, if they flop in the box office, then obviously they're not going to be um, up for an Academy Award. Just not going to happen. But you're seeing a lot of buzz right now. This is how they work it. Anyway, um, yeah, so um, one last thing when Actually, I was interviewed after I came out of Volver. You know, there was so much paparazzi going on. As you will hear in Warren Beatty's press conference, you hear a lot of this click, 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 click. That's the paparazzi. It was nonstop. I could not compete with them. My photographs, forget it. I had a little conditional camera, tried to get a couple of things. Everything was washed out because it was flashing so much. And finally, Jeannie said, hey, you know, cut the flashes if you're gonna, so you're gonna hear this click, 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 click going on even more so after Volver. Penelope Cruz was beautiful. She's very, very petite. You know, she looked gorgeous. She really reminded me of um, the Gold of Naples with Sophia Loren. As she was walking out, of course, I was walking out, you know, just trying to get out of the theater. And we're sort of side by side, but of course, as I tried to take a picture, I got an elbow, somebody's head, forget it, on all the flashing. It was a feeding frenzy. I know these people's like, get me out of here. But who who did I see? I saw Zacharias. He's the um, the filmmaker of Knud Rasmussen. And there he was trying to take the picture of um, you know Penelope walking by. But I don't think he got a good shot either because these guys, these are pros. My God, they get in there. You got to get out of there really fast. I got out of there, you know, and they were, you know, Come here, look left, look right, click, 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 click. 
Flash Flash, some guy was like standing next to me and I said, hey, now what do you think of the film? He goes, I didn't even see the film. I was just trying to get in there and take pictures. I couldn't even get in for the press conference. Get out of their way, really. But there's one guy. He had a beautiful shot of her looking over the shoulder, looked right at her. That's all they want. They want them to look right at them, look left, look right. But you're hearing them yell at you all the time. You don't know where to look. Anyway, that's my paparazzi story. So I don't have good pictures. Absolutely not. I've got overexposed elbows and heads in the shots. Um, that was it. So what will happen next? Next, we're going to talk to some filmmakers on how they're planning their film festival strategy. A lot of this film festival business is equated to a chess game where every move counts. There's a lot of festivals ahead, and uh, we'll see what happens then. That's about it. Thanks for listening.